Oh, you now. Okay. All right. Um, I'm going to try one more time sitting and doing the sermon. If that doesn't work next week, I'm going to have a moment. Um, we're in a series on eschatology, uh, the doctrine of last things. And the name of that is What's Next? Uh, waiting for the Kingdom to Come. Uh, we've covered several topics. I want to briefly go over those, and uh, then we'll, uh, uh, I'll move on to today's subject. There are two errors in Christian eschatology. One of those is replacement theology, which sees the church as replacing Israel and the gospel replacing the Torah. The other one is missing the point of the uh, gospel. Uh, the gospel's not intended to change the world. It's intended to call people out of the world, waiting for the world to come and the restoration of the kingdom uh, that God promises. So that's an important part. Now, the second thing is, there was a previous creation. That creation was destroyed by a flood. We have the present creation. This is the one that is the subject of salvation. And then there will be a new creation after God's plan of salvation is completed. There's a little bit of an overlap between the new and the, uh, the present one. I'll talk about that at a later time. But I want us to uh, focus on understanding that salvation is about this present creation and it includes the creation. The third thing that we talked about is that salvation is of the Jews. Israel is central to what God is doing. And it's important to understand that in this present creation, God began by creating the uh, nations. And then over time, uh, he brought Israel into play. Israel began to be not only God's chosen people who would have the covenants, but as they lived the covenants, they would illuminate the nations because the nations existed in darkness and without hope and without God in the world. And Israel is the plan of God's salvation. Obviously the Messiah comes from them. But just as he comes, they don't fade into the background. They still are part of that framework. Then the covenants. The covenants are really important. The Noahic covenant is about this present world that it will stay with day and night and seasons uh, all operating as it has since the time of Noah until this creation is completed. And then within that comes the Abrahamic covenant, which is the promise of a people, that's Israel, a promise of the land, that's the promised land, a promise of being blessed and being a blessing to all the nations, which is what includes us as Gentiles in that part of the promises of God. Following that, God made a covenant with Israel at Sinai that is commonly referred to as the Torah, though it's, it's not exactly the same as the Torah. That covenant at Sinai, the Mosaic covenant, was not a covenant of salvation. It was a covenant that said, if Israel will obey me and do these commandments, I will bless them and the whole world will see. If Israel will not do these commandments, I will curse them and ultimately, I will move them out of the land. And that is the Mosaic Covenant. And then there is the Davidic Covenant. The Davidic Covenant says to David, I will put your seed on the throne of Israel, and that your tent will be raised back up, 
and, and your son, meaning the Messiah, will sit on the throne of Jacob and on the throne of Israel and on the throne of David. This notion that there will be a restored kingdom at the end of this process of salvation. And then, of course, there is the new covenant. And the new covenant is important because the new covenant involves the regathering of Israel, the changing of their hearts, so that they will be able to fully obey the commandments and the covenants, and the full blessing will land on them and on the entire creation. And, of course, the Gentiles are included in this, but that's part of the mystery of the gospel, which I'll talk about next time. I'm not going to address that today. Today I want to address the gathering of Israel and the resurrection. Those are really important. To do that, I want to remind you of something I talked about two weeks ago. Last week I kind of covered a little bit of this content and the content related to the need for these home congregations as we are doing uh, now with this technology, but we won't always have that technology. So I want to talk today about the idea of the gathering of Israel and the resurrection. Most Christians don't put these together. They think of the resurrection as connected to what they think of as the rapture. And they think of Israel as the connected to the kingdom. And the reality is we should not be thinking so much of this catching up, though that will happen, but it won't be invisible. And we should be thinking more about the regathering of Israel and the resurrection that takes place in the process of that regathering. So I want to remind you of three texts that we looked at last time we addressed this issue. That was two weeks ago. The first one is in Deuteronomy chapter 30. So I'd like you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. It's really important that you have your Bibles with you uh, and hymnals if you've got them as we uh, go through these worship services at home. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, this is what the scripture says. So it will be uh, when all these things have come about, the blessing and the curse, this is the Mosaic Covenant, uh, and you will call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you. So the Mosaic Covenant includes the disbursement of Israel and the gathering of Israel. Those are not uh, something that happened that God had to now bring the gospel. This was always his plan. And you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I have commanded you, you and your sons. Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, that's the opposite of Jerusalem, that's Southern California, and there are, Israel is dispersed all the way to Southern California. From there, the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you will possess it, and he will prosper you and multiply you there more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. And the Lord your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you and who persecuted you. 
and you shall again obey the Lord and observe all his commandments which I command you this day. Now this is really important. Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand, in the offspring of your body, in the offspring of your cattle, in the produce of the ground. For the Lord will again rejoice over you as for good, just as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in the book of the Torah, if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now this is really important. God intends to regather Israel, and that regathering of Israel is directly is directly related to the re, uh, restoration of the kingdom and of the coming of the King, the Messiah, who will come, and all of that. It's important that we see that that's central to what God is doing, and I'm going to tie the resurrection into that as well. So we looked at that. I want you to see also in Isaiah 56. In Isaiah 56, uh, verses 6 through 8. The Lord says, I want the foreigner, that is the Gentile, who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him. That's what we're doing now in our worship. To love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds to my covenant. It's a covenant with Israel, but we are coming alongside them. Even those I will bring to my holy mountain. I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, and my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. The verse that Jesus quotes when he cleanses the temple. Now, this next verse is critical. The Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares, yet others I will gather to them, to those already gathered. Those already gathered will be Israel, and we will be gathered to them in that context. That's why Isaiah says, one day we will say, come let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That is yet to come, and when that happens, we will be in this regathering process. Now there's another text that we looked at uh, that's really important, and that text is Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says this, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed, either by a spirit or a message or even a letter coming from us, apostles, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now what Paul's doing here is he's talking to them about the gathering, and the gathering that he's talking about is this end-time gathering where Israel will be gathered, and the Gentiles will also be gathered. 
and the resurrection is going to be tied directly into that gathering. But he says this day of the Lord is not going to come until certain things happen. I'm not going to read the whole passage. You can read that yourself. But he basically says that this day of the Lord, and by the way, if you read about the day of the Lord in the scriptures, the day of the Lord is not a joyful time. It is about God's vengeance. It's about God's justice. It's about his judgment. It's a judgment that will begin with the house of God and then go to the whole world. It is a dark time when people see the wrath of God poured out. And two things are preventing that, Paul says. One is there was got to be an apostasy first, that many who claim to be believers and many who claim to be followers of the Lord will fall away and will not really follow the Lord. And then the second thing is the man of sin will be revealed. This is the false Messiah when there is a false regathering and a false sense that this is now about to come into play and it will begin and then this individual will claim to be deity and will cause the abomination of desolation that Daniel talks about and that Jesus talked about and will talk about later in this series. Now, this day of the Lord is a great struggle of evil and faith as they're pitted against each other. And the judgment and the wrath of God will take place. And in the same way that uh, the deliverance took place in Egypt, where God poured his wrath on the Egyptians, sparing his own people, but the Egyptians poured their wrath on the people of God. In those latter days, in that process that we call the tribulation, God will be pouring out his wrath on the world, and the world, because they can't get back to God, will be pouring out their wrath on God's people, Jews and Christians. And that's an important thing. But the gathering of Israel also involves the resurrection. And so I want to talk about that, and I want you to look at some verses that make it clear that the resurrection is, is central to and part of the coming of the kingdom. The regathering will take place, but it's a regathering ultimately in the kingdom of all of God's people, and that includes those whose bodies are resting in the earth. So I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 8 at verse 5. Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 8. I want to pick it up a little bit before that. You look at verse 5, but I want you to... Uh, uh, yeah, we'll start at verse 5. It says, Jesus entered Capernaum. A centurion came to him, imploring him, and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. And the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I tell one to go, and he goes, and I tell another to come, and he comes, uh, and to my slave do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, I tell you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now I want you to hear this text carefully. This centurion is a Gentile. He asked Jesus to heal his servant. He says he will come. And he says, you don't have to come. You just have to speak the word. Because I get authority and I know that you have authority. And Jesus says, I don't find this kind of faith in Israel. And we'll talk about this struggle of Israel and faith when we talk about the gospel next week. I want you to understand that here is a statement that tells us two things. One, that the Gentiles will be included in the kingdom. And that those who have died will be included in the kingdom. Because what Jesus says here is, uh, I tell you that people will come from the east and the west, that's the Gentiles, from all the nations around the world, and they will recline with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now let me tell you something. He's not talking about a kingdom in heaven. He's talking about the kingdom from or of heaven that will be the restored kingdom of Israel on the earth. And who will be there? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because God promised them the land, and all they ever had was a cemetery. They had the plains of Mamre, and they had the cave of Machpelah, and that's it. That's all they ever inherited. But they will inherit the whole land in the promise, and that requires them to be raised from the dead. So resurrection becomes very important in the context of this. And I want you to see that the resurrection will be also included in this idea of gathering. So turn with me back to Isaiah 49. bit of a Bible drill today. Isaiah 49, I will pick it up at verse 8. God is speaking through Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, in a favorable time I have answered you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. And I will keep you, and I will give you for a covenant of the people to restore the land and to make them inherit the desolate heritages saying to those who are bound, go forth, and to those who are in darkness, show yourselves, and along the roads they will feed, and their pasture will be on the bare heights. Notice he's got kind of a shepherding uh, terminology here. They will not hunger or thirst, nor will the scorching heat or the sun strike them down, for he who has compassion on them will lead them, and he will guide them to springs of waters. And I will make all my mountain a road, and my highways will be raised up. And they will come from afar, and lo, they will come from the north and from the west, and from the land of the east. Shout for joy, O heaven, and rejoice, or break forth with joyful singing, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people, and will have compassion on his afflicted. Now the people that God is comforting there is Israel as he brings them back into the land and all of the blessings are placed in that context that will truly be the day of salvation and the resurrection is directly tied to that in Hebrews chapter 11 and I don't really have time to go into all of it now but in Hebrews 11 verses 13 to 17 the Bible talks about those who walked by faith 
and then died having not received the promises. And the reason for that is that they will not receive the promises without us who are included in that context. All of that is tied to the gathering and all of that is tied to the resurrection. So now I want you to go back and look at the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, I mean 1 Thessalonians, where he, he talks about this uh, actually previous to his statement about that gathering. He's already given them that information. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 18. This is a text you're very familiar with, but it's a text that what tends to happen in your mind is you think in terms of rapture and not in terms of resurrection. You need to think in terms of gathering and resurrection and not disappearing. Okay? So here's the words. We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you do not grieve as those who do not have hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. All of our departed loved ones, all the way back to Abraham, all the way back to Adam, will come with the Lord when he returns, because he's going to gather Israel in the promised land. He's going to bring their spirits back, And the scripture says, we say this by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and with the shofar of God. And the dead in Messiah will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. Now the idea here is that the Lord is coming with the thousands of his saints, and then he is going to step foot on the Mount of Olives. So the Lord will come from heaven with those who have departed. Their bodies will will rise and be changed. They will rise first. We will be ultimately changed if we're alive in a split second. The change will take place, not the catching up. We will ascend as he ascended to be with the Lord. We will go over to Israel and we will, as he steps foot on the Mount of Olives and it splits open to be a highway into the city, we will be part of that because resurrection is tied to that gathering. Now this is important. Paul is telling us that this gathering in this next uh, book will not take place until these events happen. But he wants us to be focused on the gathering and on the resurrection because that's where our comfort and our hope is, even through the dark parts of the day of the Lord. I want to end with one more text, and that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection. Paul claims that the resurrection will take place, that it's central to the gospel, as I will talk about next time. And then he talks about the body that will, will be raised. It, it's a different body. That's because it's part of the new creation. We'll talk about that later in this series. And he tells us 
that there is an order of how this resurrection takes place. And we find that in, in verse uh, 50, it's important to understand that we must be raised from the dead in order to be in that kingdom. So he says this, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So I tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of the eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishably, and we will be changed. That thing that happens in the twinkling of an eye is not the catching up. It's the change from mortal to immortal, from perishable to imperishable, from temporal to eternal. And in that, our bodies will be part of the new creation, which will ultimately replace this one after it has come into its fullness. And he says, when this perishable, he says, this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on the immortality. And when this perishable has put on the imperishable, and this mortal has put on the immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law, because we're in this flesh. That's why the scripture says, What the law could not do, weep through the flesh. God did in sending his own son, condemning sin in the flesh, so that he could ultimately redeem our spirits by rebirth, transform our mind by his word, and change our bodies by resurrection, and then full salvation will take place. So he says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not vain in the Lord. That which we do for the Lord here will be rewarded in the kingdom to come. And we're to lay up treasures in heaven so that when that kingdom comes on earth, we will be part of that and will rejoice with the Lord. Restoration of Israel and their regathering is the direct purpose of God. And the restoration of the kingdom requires the removal of sin, the imprisonment of Satan, and the day of God's wrath and vengeance to come on the earth. But the kingdom requires the gathering of God's people and their resurrection so that none will be left out because we will sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the gospel will call Israel back to God as God removes their sin. It will establish them for the adoption of sons and we as well. And we Gentiles are included not by replacement, but by being brought near and alongside uh, of Israel so that we will be gathered as the Lord said. I want to I quote one more verse that I left out, and that is the text where Jesus said to his Jewish disciples, I have other sheep, and I will bring them, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. We don't replace Israel. We will be brought in with them. And all that God has promised from the very beginning to the very 
has entered into the imagination of man the things that God is preparing. For he says, Behold, I make all things new. That new heaven, that new earth, that new Jerusalem, that new humanity is unimaginable to us. We are having enough trouble imagining the perfecting and the tikkun olam of this creation, which God will certainly do, and he will do that through Israel by means of the Messiah in the gathering, the resurrection, and the second coming. And that's the message for today. So, uh, I'm going to... uh,